Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are All right. If you're taking notes, go ahead and do this. I, I, um, I think it's a, it's a good message to take notes. It's a lot of conversation today and a, a lot of really just you being honest. Uh, the theme to this whole series is honesty, really. Um, we've been talking about winning the world within as that is our series. And the truth is there is no winning if there is no honesty. How many of you can say amen? There is no winning if there is no honesty. And, and, and it starts right there at that place where, you could, where we say, you know what, I have to begin right here at this moment, uh, just being honest. And, and, I, and I hope that that starts right now if you have not done so yet. But in your notes or in your smart device, write, write these three words down. This is the title um, of our message. It's Beat the Bully. And um, I don't know about you guys, uh, if maybe if you're into sports or you're into some sort of like boxing, MMA, something where it's competitive. Um, how many of you always go for the underdog? Or you always go for like the champion, uh, the one that is said to win. Um, but there's something about that underdog, right? Where, when they fight the, the one that's stronger than them, the one that is more accomplished than them. Uh, you, we always tend to look at that individual as a bully. And we look at the, it's like the David and Goliath syndrome kind of thing. And we say, well, let's beat them and let's win against them. And we always aim to root for those. Uh, but as we talk about beat the bully, um, you'll see what it means to your very own lives. L- let's ask some more questions. Um, how, if you don't feel comfortable with raising your hand, it's okay. I respect that. But how many of you have experienced this? And you could say, and you could maybe admit to it. How many of you have been bullied at some point in your life? All right, it's a few hands going up. It's good. So you, so you could, you know what that felt like. How did that make you feel? Think about the feelings real quick. Think about how it felt when you were bullied. Think about... This is interesting. Think about how it felt when you saw the bully again. Many of you had to prepare yourself saying, oh, I have to just continue to prepare myself to be bullied and, and you get your mind ready and you get yourself ready because it's a, a consistent um, behavior that you give off when you're being bullied. So that way, uh, that way it doesn't intensify the bullying in your life. Um, hopefully no one here has been the bully. And if you have, then, then maybe you deal a little bit with this message. Um, and, and you'll see what I mean by it. I, I want to share a story with you real quick because I too have been bullied in my life. But I'll never forget when I was in middle school, my mom thought that it was a good idea to put me in these certain classes that supposedly were going to help me do better in school. I won't say what kind of classes they were, but they were just different classes than the normal folk, you know, than the, than the other kids. So my mom put me in these classes, and I'll never forget in middle school. It was my first day. And I had my schedule. How many of you remember um, those school schedules? The, the ones that were very flimsy and very, very thin. They, they almost, if you wet them, it feels like they dissolve. You know which is what I'm talking about? I don't, know, I don't even know if they make those anymore in school, those thin school schedules. So I'm carrying that thin school schedule with me to my class. And as I'm carrying it, I get into my new class. This is my first time walking into um, these, these group of classes, and, I, and I'll never forget, I sat next to 
uh, there was one chair that was open in my in the teacher, and I got there late to the class. You could tell that I, it, I still remember the details of it. And the teacher says, "Just sit down, and and we'll go over some stuff after class." Because I got there while he was, I guess, lecturing or whatnot. So I sit down in this empty chair, and I'll never forget. There was a a young a young man, a, another kid that sat right next to me in in the row right next to me, and he was just staring at me with this intensity, just like just looking at me just staring at me, and, and I kind of just looked at him, and he says, let me see your schedule, and I've shared this maybe with some of you, so I'm like, all right, so I shared my schedule with him so he could see it, and I re- I'll never forget, he just continues to stare at me, he doesn't flinch, he grabs it, he doesn't care what classes I'm in, he starts to crumble the paper, he puts it in his mouth, and he starts chewing it, and I'm just staring at him now, and as he chews it, he goes, and he swallows my schedule. And I remember right then and there, I looked at him. I see the ball going down his throat. He swallows my schedule. And after he did, he kept staring at me. And I just sat and I just looked at the teacher. And I said, that's cool. I wasn't going to tell him anything. Because I, I, I knew right there what he wanted. He wanted me to say something because after class, there was going to be an uh, uh, <laughs> initiation for joining that class it, that, that this these classes were it was kind of like we were our own very gang like our, our gang ourselves like we were just set apart from the rest of the school some of you already know what kind of classes I'm talking about right they were like these student at risk classes and um I said I know what he's doing you know he's eating my schedule because if I say something back they're gonna just rush me and I'm gonna be initiated but but I said okay what's the best thing to do the best thing to do said I was great and I just stood at the teacher, and in my head, I said, I'll just <laughs> I'll go right up to the office, and I'll get a new schedule right after this class. <laughs> and, but I'll never forget that. I, I, I actually became, um, I, I'm, I'm actually smart when it comes to this as well. When he did that, I said, this is the person that I'm supposed to be friends with. So when he, when he did that, I knew that that was going to be my friend. I knew that I needed to get in with that guy, because if he ate a schedule, I need to make sure I'm cool with him. Well, we became really good friends. And um, he was a, a good friend of mine for many years, and uh, we hung out a lot. He lived in my neighborhood, and, um, and we were able to, you know, have a lot of fun together after, and we became good friends. And, but, but it didn't start that way. It started with him trying to bully me, and I, uh, I could have stood up, and I could have fought. I could have tried to act tough, but I felt like I operated in a little bit of wisdom at a young age at that moment. I didn't get a beat down, but I was bullied. I don't know if you've ever had your, your, your schedule swallowed. All right. Um, I don't know if it's someone that's call, constantly calling you names. I was sharing in 930 Huddle that it doesn't have to just be something from childhood. Uh, you could have been bullied from childhood and it could have continued on because you've allowed it. And it's, and it's become something that's affected you for the rest of your life. You could be bullied by everyone, by every single boss that you've had. They bully you and that's what you're just used to. You're used to it. You're, you're bullied by the closest person close to you. You're bullied by maybe your parents. You're bullied by, uh, I will say, 930 Huddle. We've, we've come across, my wife and I, uh, parents that have been bullied by their very own children. M- mothers who have been disciplined by their own children, even, even hit by young children. And we're just like, no, that, that, that doesn't work that way. Bullying comes in many different forms. You know that, right? Bullying can be a constant look, a constant word an action your way. Uh, Bullying could be all kinds of things. So what is a bully? Well, this is what a bully is. A bully is a person who habitually seeks to harm 
or intimidate those whom they perceive as vulnerable. That's what a bully is. They're less vulnerable. Those that they know they could take advantage of, they bully them because they could get something easy from them. Or they're dealing with their own, listen to this, insecurities that they feel that this is the only way that I can find any kind of worth in me is by picking on someone else. Until they, one day, you know how it is, they pick on the wrong person. But, but you know, it's, it's, it's going to always be like that. Life, there's always going to be bullies. And, and, and being bullied over and over can really bring damage to us. I'm wondering if you've ever been damaged by a bully, by someone who's taken advantage of you, and you're still living maybe in your adult years, and you're living damaged because an individual or more than one individuals have bullied your life, and it's really affected the way you think. It's affected your relationships. It's affected how you trust people because you've been bullied in your life. You guys understand where I'm coming from? I want you to think of a bully. I'm thinking about this bully who eventually became my friend, though he ate my schedule. And me and his cousins are actually good friends, and I always tell his, I tell his cousin the story. I'll never forget when your cousin ate my schedule. And, but, but I remember that, and I remember the details of that. There's been other times where I remember in middle school. My middle school was kind of interesting, where, where I think I was wearing Jordans. They said, give me your Jordans. And I said, no, I'm not giving you my Jordans. I, I knew the hard work it took my mom to get me those Jordans. And, and I remember bullies trying to take my Jordans. Uh, th- what I would try to do is I would always try to say, I, I got to make sure I find who the right friend is, who the right person is going to be uh, for the moment that I need them. But, but I know what it looks like to be bullied, and, uh, and I'm sure many of you do. But, but think about a bully right now in your mind. May- maybe a bully is a family member in your life. Maybe a bully is a, that childhood little kid that sat next to you that ate your schedule. Maybe... The bully was that big brother, that sister that constantly bullied you around. Think about that bully. Think about their face, who they are. Now, as as you're looking at this bully and this individual who takes advantage of you, I thought about this because I thought about it in my own life, knowing that I was going to share that story. You know, you don't have to look too far or think too much to come up with the face of that bully. How many of you can testify, give witness, and speak on that just by standing before the mirror and taking a good look at the reflection in that mirror, that our greatest bully is that individual that's staring right back at us? For many of us, the ongoing bully in our lives is not the childhood bully, it's not the family member, maybe it is. But the greatest bully in our life, it's our very own self, where we bully ourselves and we're in our minds that we are our greatest bully. You should write that down if you feel that and you say, you know what, I do, I bully myself and and we'll get into what this looks like. Because as I preach and as I share this message today, it's titled Beat the Bully I really mean this. I want you to beat the bully. And if any bully is to be beat and destroyed, we're going to start off with that first bully, which is the one that lives inside of you. Because we're talking in this series to win the world within. And it starts with beating the bully that's inside. Amen? So let's look inward. And let's talk about that inner voice today. 
Let's talk about the racing thoughts. How many of you live with racing thoughts, racing thoughts, racing thoughts, racing thoughts, racing thoughts, racing thoughts? Okay. How many of you have been conquered, dismantled, I mean, just at a very low place because of those racing thoughts? They've gotten to you at some point of your life. You see, that's a form of being bullied by your own thoughts. You've allowed your own mind to really put a beating on you. To the feelings that you have about yourself. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The, the way that you feel and you constantly feel this way and you feel this way. You need to start looking inward. Start being honest right now as we get into this message. And let's begin by asking this question. As, 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 as I'm looking within and as I'm really searching deep within my life, what do I find in there? What do I find in my mind, in my heart? And, and what I really want to poke at today and what I really want to touch on your life today it's your self-worth. How is the health of your self-worth? I want you to really look within and ask yourself this question. Do I have a positive self-worth? And you're like, well, I have no idea where to even begin to look at this. Or how do I search for that self-worth? Well, let's start off first by looking at the word self and self-worth. What is self? What is the word self in self-worth? Self, you should be writing some of this down so you can reflect on it throughout the week and really pray into this and, and study and have conversations about some of these things if this is stuff that is relative to you. But self is a collection of all the aspects of your life that gives you an identity. That's your self. All these aspects that, that tell who you are, that give off this image of who you are, it's, it's what identifies you, the collection of all these different aspects of your being. So as I'm, I'm explaining these aspects, what, what are these things? What, what is yourself made up of? What are all these things that form my identity? Well, some of these things could be your thoughts, your feelings. Maybe it's your culture, your knowledge, all this stuff is competency, your, your knowledge, your skills, your abilities, your behavior. Self, the, the self is made up of, of your family because that's what raised you and that's who taught you and that's who built morals in you if they did. And so self is made up of your family, of your nationality, of your body image. In this room, our bodies are made different and and that's part of who you are. And, and because of your structure even, it, it messes with your self-worth. Some of us feel really good about ourselves. Some of us feel really low about ourselves. So it could be our body image, our appearance, our relationships. And that varies. Relationships with friends, with spouses. Some of us, it's ex-spouses. And some of us, it's children. Relationships. All of this makes up Yourself, your past, your present, past failures, past victories, past successes. All these things, all of these things, and there's so many more things that we can name. It makes you the unique person that you are. And you grab all these things, all this collection of stuff from, from all these different words that we're saying, all these different things. And you pile them together and you say, this is who I am. This is what makes me me. All these different things. We see it, right, when something comes up, like, like when the, the whole thing with Cuba came up and we're living at, like, you saw, like, 
the Cubans rise up and take pride in who they are. That, that, though some of them never even been to Cuba. Can't even relate to what it looks like over there. But, but because of their family, they felt like that's part of who I am. It's part of how I was raised. It's, it's what makes me me. I could identify to them. You see that? All of that deals with self. That self. Now, your self-worth is this. After breaking down self, your self-worth is the value now. Worth. It is the value that you give that picture. So I have the collection of all these things that makes me who I am. That builds up my identity. All these different things. But now as I look at all these things, this collection of stuff that, 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 of, that, that tells me who I am. What is the value that I give this? How do I value this person? And that's where we start to tap into self-worth. And self-worth, it ranges from low to And it varies during different times and circumstances in your life. If, the, if, if you get struck by lows around you and you have low self-worth, you, you sink quickly, immediately. You, you start to... You start to sink and you start to crawl and you start to hide and, 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 and you can't deal with the pressures and the circumstances around you because it's, it's, it's already dark and it's grim and, and you don't see a future and it doesn't look good but you immediately relate it to yourself and because you don't find value, you just hide under a rock or you run into a cave and, 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 and it's the whole fight or flight and you flight and you run away from it because I can't find worth in me to fight this battle. And that's where a lot of us deal with our worth. And, and, and this is what we're talking about. It, it ranges during different times, different circumstances in your life. So as we look into week four, here's the thing. As we're in this series, we've been saying that to win the world around you, it must start by winning the world within you. So our goal is to maintain a high self-worth. Because led by the Holy Spirit, filled by the Holy Spirit, having a high self-worth, this is the fuel that will drive you to impact the world around you in a positive way. Amen? So, so I, I want us to really be honest and really dig in and really, as we start to grab this stuff and look at scripture, to really focus on how is my self-worth? Well, Well, here's the thing about self-worth as we search deep into it. Some stuff that we need to know as we jump into this. Our self-worth, everyone say self-worth. It is a combination of two very important things. Our self-worth is a combination of our self-esteem, write that down, and of our self-concept. Self-esteem and self-concept. So what is self-esteem? Self-esteem is the way people feel about themselves. Come on. Serious question. How do you feel about yourself? On that paper, on that tablet, you should answer that. How, how do I really feel? Maybe the way you feel about yourself varies. But how do you feel about yourself in summary throughout the week? At the end of the day, when you put your head down on the pillow and you start to think about your life. How do I feel about myself? What this is, is It's what are the words, so you could define this better in your life, what are the words that you can use to describe the feelings that you have about yourself? Can you think about some of those words? 
I would hate for you to start saying some of them out loud. I don't want to put any of you in a weird situation or make you feel embarrassed. But can you think about some words, just one word, and you could just say to yourself, this is a word that describes how I feel about myself. Think about that word, and maybe it's more than one. What are those words? Maybe it's mad. This is how I feel, my self-esteem. Maybe you feel timid. Maybe you're excited. What's that one word in how you feel about yourself? That's your self-esteem. So as you look at that one word, do you have a good self-esteem or a bad self-esteem? Because we're looking at the world within. How's my, how, because why am I talking about all this? Why, why are we getting so, so into all this? Because this is going to determine how you serve people. Are you going to serve people with worth? Or are you going to, because if you can't value what you have inside, what are you going to give people then? What do you, how are you going to serve people? If there's no worth in you, if you can't find that, then, then in what way are you going to use a platform to glorify God? Like, like you, you need to look deep within and really say like, what are some of the things? How do I feel about myself? Do I have high self-esteem or low self-esteem? How's your self-concept? So one thing, self-esteem is how you feel about yourself. Well, here's another one. Self-concept is different, but it's related to self-esteem. Self-concept is what you think about yourself. Your feeling and your thoughts, those are two different things. So tell me, how, how do you think about yourself? So you might say, I'm, I'm mad, but then your thought is, I'm always going to be a loser. That's different. That's not a feeling. Those are your thoughts for yourself. You see the difference? So, so are you, is your thoughts always like, I'm never going to succeed. I'm always going to be a failure. I'm never going to be in a relationship. I'm, 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 I'm just, oh, I'm just, think about the thoughts you have for yourself. Or are you very positive? I'm, I'm great. I'm so successful. I'm highly favored. Like, like what, what are some of your, your thoughts, serious about yourself? That's self-concept. So now we look at self-esteem and we look at self-concept and then we break those two things down and or we blend them together and we say, well, they're together, the thoughts and the feelings about yourself, that makes up your self-worth. It is a combination of self-esteem and self-concept. The overall picture of, all, of both these things, it makes up your self-worth. So maybe you're struggling here today. And maybe you're struggling to make a distinction like about your feelings and about your thoughts. And this is critical as we get going, for, as we go forward in this. It's critical to understand the difference between self-esteem and your self-concept. So you could figure out like how is my self-worth seriously? Because you know what? There's people around me that need my self-worth to be well. I need it for myself. God needs it as he uses me. And the people around me need it. Because they can't be around me when there's, when there's just a constant negative self-worth. I need to really work on my worth. Amen? So all of us here have self-esteem. Are we in agreement with that? All right. Some of our self-esteems are what? High. Some of them are. And some of them could be mediocre. They're just there. They just dwindle. And sometimes, depending on the day, it goes up. It goes down. Some high, some low. 
But here's the question. How do you feel about yourself right now? Right now, as you walked in here today, you had no idea I was going to ask you this. But answer this question to yourself. How do you feel today? Not about the world. Not about the person next to you. Just how do you feel about yourself? Because that right there is going to determine the health of your self-esteem. High self-esteem. Everyone say hi. High self-esteem is easy. It's this. I feel good about myself. I feel good about myself. And that causes you to say this. Because I feel good about myself, I deserve to be treated with respect. You with me? I have a form of self-esteem in my life. And if you treat me bad, I'm going to distance myself from you because I don't deserve to be treated like that. That's because I have a higher self-esteem in that part of my life. You you get what I'm trying to say? A person with extreme low self-esteem will be treated bad, but they they will continue in that relationship, continue in that lifestyle because, hey, you know what? I deserve to be treated bad because anyways, I'm no good. You have low self-esteem, so you allow yourself to continue to get bullied. Sometimes it's not a person. It's our very own selves and the way we feel and the way we think. So so I want you to think about this. Do you have high self-esteem? I feel good about myself. I deserve to be treated. Or everyone say low. Do you have low self-esteem, which is totally different? It's this. I'm worth nothing. I'm worth nothing. This is the person that says, I deserve. I deserve to be hit. I deserve to be treated badly. I deserve to be hit or treated badly and be yelled at or be spoken down to. That's low self-esteem. And you can't understand um, the next thing, which is self-concept, without figuring that out right there. Low self-esteem and high self-esteem. Come on. How do you measure in that as we... As we'll, you'll see how we'll go into this message. How, how, how do you see yourself with your self-esteem? Because now self-concept could either be positive or negative. Everyone say positive. So positive self-concept is not your feeling anymore. It's your thoughts. Positive self-confidence is this. I am a capable person. That's not a feeling. That's your thought about yourself. I can do this. How is your self-concept about yourself? I'm capable I'm a capable person. How about this? I'm a lovable person. So that means what? If I'm a lovable person, I could give love and I should what? Receive love. I'm a lovable person. How do you see yourself? Positive. Think about yourself. Positive concept. Or you could have negative concept, which is totally the opposite. I'm incapable of doing anything right. Maybe you know someone like that. That they're constantly speaking down on themselves. They constantly think about themselves as as insignificant. They constantly think that they can never do anything right. They can't hold a job. They can't, their their life is just purely negative. Their view is negative on life. Their new view about themselves is negative, negative. The reason why their view of life is negative is because their view and their concept about themselves is negative. If my life stinks, then the world around me stinks. If my life is good, then the world around me is good, even though it's crumbling. Because I'm good, so then relationships become good. 
Friendships become good. Interactions become good because I'm doing good. If I'm doing bad, if I'm negative, if I'm low, then this becomes negative and this becomes low. So you're positive. Your outcome stinks because you stink. And I'm not saying you stink. Like I'm trying to lift you up, not bring you down. So what is your self-esteem like? What's your self-concept like? Is it high or low concept? Is it positive or negative? The negative person says, I can't do it. Uh, No one could love me. Are you sitting here and says, no one could love me? And now, right now, you hear the voice of God. That's a lie. There's so much that could love you. And I can love you. And I love you. How can you, how did you come to the place to believe that no one can love you? Well, you don't know my story since I've been a child. This is what's been done to me. Good. The Lord wants to heal that and and develop and heal your self-worth so that you can know that you're not what was done to you as a child or you're not what was done to you in your first marriage. There is worth in you in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Start within. This message deals with all of us. Come on, beat the bully. All of this, the way you think and the way you feel about yourself determines your self-worth. I can't ask you enough. How do you think about yourself? How do you feel about yourself? That's going to determine whether you have any self-worth whatsoever. Uh, two weeks ago, I believe it was, we shared Proverbs 23.7. And Proverbs 23.7 says, for as he thinks in his heart... So is he. So is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs there is speaking deep within the individual that begins or starts to become that which he starts to think of himself. And it's a very psychological verse. It's a a verse that goes deep within the mind and the thought of man. If you keep thinking that way, you're probably going to live that way and feel that way about yourself for the rest of your life. That what you think about matters. You should write that down. What I think about matters. Regal, what I think about matters because it's forming the basis of who I will become and who I am becoming. Come on, beat the bully. So I want to share a story with you in the scripture. I can't get into all of it because seriously, we'll, go, we'll take so many different uh, ups and downs, twists and turns that we'll never finish here. And, and, and we want to finish here eventually. But for your own notes, you should write this down. 2 Samuel chapter 4. 2 Samuel chapter 4. Everyone say 4. Second mm-hmm. Samuel chapter 9. Everyone say 9. Chapter 16 and chapter 19. So I've given you four chapters all in one book. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, 2 Samuel chapter 9, chapter 16. All of this is in 2 Samuel and 2 Samuel chapter 19. In those four chapters, you're going to read about... This man, this young man by the name of Mephishobeth. I call him Mephi. You've heard me preach about him here. I did a whole message on him like 12 years ago. And Mephi was a, a, a very interesting person. How many of you saw maybe the news or, or on your social media that Madonna has a dog or there's a dog that lives in Madonna's old mansion here in Miami? You seen that? And because of how many, I don't know the whole logistics of this. But the, the, the mansion is like worth $32 million. 
the $32 million because the, the hog has taken that house to be his home for all these years. That $32 million belongs to that dog. It's, it's something weird like that. It's like a weird story. You're like, get out of here. Oh, do something to that dog and get that money. No, you know, but it's, it's crazy. Like, that, that's, like, it's, it's like, you look at these dogs and today, and I have a dog, and, you know, and when we go on vacation, you think about the dog, and you think about, oh my God, who's going to take care of him? And I, we send him somewhere in one of our last vacations, and he came back, and my dog wasn't the same, and I chewed him like a son. I'm like, oh my God, I can never send him back there again. He's depressed for like four days, and he was, like, in Mephi's day, in Second Samuel, people weren't thinking about dogs like that. Like part of the family. Like now, now you know, you have to make sure you have a vacation spot for him. When, when you go on vacation, we take our dogs on vacation with us. And, and, and if not, we, 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 we pay X amount of money to make sure he's comfortable wherever he's at. In the days of Mephi, in 2 Samuel 4, 9, 16, and 19, before dogs had special diets, we had to change our dog's food like three different times to figure out what his allergies were. I mean, it's like having a kid. And you get all like heartbroken because, my God, my dog is sick. Before, I never understood dog owners or animal owners. I thought they were funny. I was like, it's a dog. Who cares? And now I have a dog. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm one of them. Like, I care. I care about it. I got humbled by that. Amen? Before the days that dogs had special diets or dogs went on family vacations or even retired. I mean, we have birthday parties for our dogs. I mean, you invite all your friends with their dogs and you, have, you cut a cake. Like, this is real stuff. People, we do this. Before we had birthday parties for our dogs, no one in these Bible times, no one wanted to be called a dog. A dog was a very bad thing to be called. Now it's, it's good. You call me a dog. Call me a dog. My dog lives like no, no one else. But in these days, to be called a dog was a bad thing, a negative thing, let alone a dead dog. Oh, you are a dead dog. It was a very, very, very crucial and negative thing to say to someone. But this is how Mephi, how I like to call him, he referred himself as a dog and as a dead dog. So who was this gentleman he was the son of Jonathan. He was actually the grandson of the first king of Israel, King Saul. So you look at him. How can this young man consider himself to be a dog when he comes from royalty? He comes from the lineage of King Saul. But yet, there's a point of his life where he doesn't see himself as the son of Jonathan or as the grandson of King Saul. His story is actually very interesting. It's a story in which if you study it well, you'll see that his self-esteem is damaged. It's a study in a self-esteem that's damaged, a, a self-worth that is low. It's a, it's a very sad picture. But it's also a picture of how God heals our low self-worth if we allow him to heal it. When we meet Mephi, messengers, and, and you can read about his life in all those chapters I gave you, but I want to give you a summary about him. When you meet him, messengers are brought and they bring news to him about King Saul's death. Your grandfather just died. And he was five years old when you first meet him in the scriptures. And when he's five years old, his nurse grabs him. That's my daughter's age. 
So I could picture me grabbing my daughter because, oh my God, they're going to kill you next. If they just killed your father and your grandfather, they're going to kill you next because you're next in line. So she grabs, the nurse grabs Mephi like I would grab my daughter if the enemy was coming to kill. And as the nurse ran with him, he fell. And as he fell, his injuries were severe and left him lame. All of this is in the Bible. It's a very interesting story. And for years, there was a family that cared for him in an area called Lodabar. And it was a charitable family, a family that took him in. But here is a, a, a kid that was supposed to be royalty, maybe the next king of Israel, he thought. But at five years old, one incident got him crippled for the rest of his life. You know, we, we start to think about that. And thankfully, we live in an age when, when physical disabilities have less power to limit and to define who we are. We've seen People are crippled to do great things, and they should, and we should treat them well. But in these days, it was different. Mephi experienced all the challenges, all the challenges that accompanied his lameness. Uh, Beside the physical handicap, he was a grandson of of King Saul. And then not only am I handicapped, but my grandfather failed as a king, and they're going to give it to a new king by the name of David. So think about what Mephi went through as a child. I'm handicapped. I can't do nothing with my life. And my own grandfather, the king of Israel, who was supposed to be something great, he fails as a king. And my father as well is destroyed and gone. And all this, the monarchy, the kingship, the kingdom goes now to David. And Mephi had had decided that he was nothing in life. Please listen to this. Because maybe we're Mephis in here. Maybe we could relate to him. He comes to a point of his life where he feels I'm insignificant. Where he feels there is nothing in my life. To the point where he calls himself, I'm a dead dog. And it's not like our dogs that go on vacation with us and go to the supermarket. I took took my dog yesterday to the supermarket with me. It's not like our dog. A dog in his day, a dead dog is what he calls himself with no life. All I am is a dead dog. Why would Mephi call himself a dead dog? Because I'm like a dog who just lives with the scraps of people. People just give me the leftovers. I'm nothing in life. I live off the handouts that I'm, that I'm being given by this insignificant household who's taking care of me. And here he is growing up under this family and he feels worthless. Have you ever felt worthless? And he feels worthless. But then David comes into the picture and he finally becomes king. And as he accomplished his reign in Jerusalem, he remembered his good friend Jonathan. If you've ever studied the life of David, King Saul's son Jonathan and him became really good friends. And they made a covenant and a pact and they shook on it. And Jonathan told him, David, if something ever happens to me, swear that you'll take care of my children like they're your very own. And David said, I swear I will. And he remembered his covenant with Jonathan in which he promised to watch over his family. So David sent a servant to look for Mephi. Go fetch him, find him, and bring him to me. Because I want to restore his grandfather's wealth to him. Because I promised his very own father. Listen to this. And he provided servants. And he gave Mephi the right to eat at his table. To eat like the royal elite. As if he were... One of David's very own sons. He started to treat Mephi as they brought him to him as a prince. And here is this young man. And he prostrated himself before David. And he says, 
what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? David is giving him the king's food and the king's wine. And as he's there eating with the, with the royal elite, he looks at David and says, what am I but a dead dog that you should treat me like this? He's eating with royalty. But he continues to feel and think about himself as worthless. God is trying to promote you. God is trying to lift you up. God is trying to elevate you. God is trying to allow you to sit at the table, not amongst common royalty, but amongst the table of God. And yet as we sit with God in heavenly high places, we begin to describe ourselves before his presence as dead dogs. Oh, is this just me? The Lord is like, how did you like your meal today? The meal that I fed you, Regal. I'm eating at a table with God. Me, I'm eating with him. But yet, I'm struggling with my self-worth. All over scripture, man feels this way. What is man that you are mindful of him? I know that we could all relate to this. The bully that's inside of us. That God is putting us in places God wants to do things in our lives, but we can't get there or we continue to think about ourselves or feel about ourselves in a way that God does not think about you or feel about you. So you've allowed your thoughts and your feelings to become greater than God's thoughts and God's feelings. So I ask you then, what God are you really serving? The God that you're really serving is the one that you give yourself into. Are you giving into yourself as a God which you've allowed yourself to think about yourself and feel what you tell yourself rather than what your God, what he thinks and feels about you. <sighs> Can you imagine, Mephi? I'm a dead dog eating at your table. And David's like, the heck you are? You're like one of my sons eating the king's meat. Don't ever call yourself that again. <sighs> but here's what happens to us. You should, if you're brave enough, write this down. Sin has injured you. Your sin has injured you. Your public sin, but your private sin has also injured you. You've ever sinned, okay, let's be real here at church, ready? You've ever sinned and no one knows that you've sinned, just you and God, but you know it's done something in your relationship with God? Sin injures us. What people have said about you injures you. Have you ever been spoken bad about? It injures you. The negative things that you've come to feel and think about yourself injures you. Mephi was injured. Injured. Because at five years old, everything turned bad. Not only did everything turn bad, I'm crippled at five years old. But everyone, every day of my life reminds me that my grandfather, my father, was a, they were losers. My grandfather was a loser, and the kingdom was taken away from him. So if he's a loser, I'm going to continue to follow in his footsteps, and I, too, am going to be a loser. It can leave us socially, emotionally, spiritually lame until we come to a place where we finally meet Jesus. Like David's servant, listen to this, Jesus, like David's servant, Jesus came to fetch 
And he came to grab us and take us from our existing life. And he brought us back to the king. He brought us back to the table. Whatever we think of ourselves. Listen, God adopts us as his children. And he puts on his royal royal resources. I start to think about Matthew with with the lost son. And how the king begins to give him sandals and rings and a robe again. Royal resources. All at our disposal, all at our hand. And we move from a forgotten wasteland to an abundant kingdom. And you think about this and you ask this question, does it sound too good to be true? And that's how self-esteem and self-concept and ultimately self-worth often views it. Our low self-worth can be so deeply ingrained in us that it resists the new realities and the encouragement of others. David is asking him to sit at his table as a son, and yet his reality, he can't see it. His reality is, I'm still a failure. And David's like, no, you're not. You're with the king. How many of you have been saved by God's grace? And salvation has entered your heart. Seriously, like you could truly stand here today. Maybe not everyone here is. You just keep coming on Sundays because you're still trying to figure it out. But how many of you are truly saved? God has touched your heart. If you're truly saved... I want you to think about the picture of the cross. I want you to think about the mutilated Savior, Jesus Christ, who hung there with his blood shed and his back opened wide, so gruesomely pictured that you can't even recognize him. And you're going to tell me that as you sit here, there is no self-worth, which that's how much you were worth to him? I want you to think about this if you say, I'm saved today, and I have Jesus in my life today. I want you to think about this. Then how can you not take on the encouragement of God? Mephi showed symptoms of that resistance where David was trying to tell him who he was, but he continued to relate to the years of negative things that were told to him, that he thought about himself, and he felt about himself. How many of us are dealing with years of of things of how we've felt about ourselves and how we've thought about ourselves, and we just need a breakthrough already and win the world within and beat that bully up to fully access the individual, the identity that God has called us to. (laughs) When David returned to Jerusalem as king, eventually, Mephi met him and and sombered, or I guess the best word is, and groveled as a a sorry sight before the king. I'm going to read a scripture just so you can see what I'm talking about. Look at this scripture. 2 Samuel 19, 24. Look what he says to King David. Second Samuel 19. He came down from Jerusalem to meet the king. And he had not cared for his feet, trimmed his beard, washed his clothes since the day the king left Jerusalem. I want you just to think about it. He comes up to David and David looks at him and says, your toenails, man, they need to be cut. Your beard, it looks like it hasn't been washed and trimmed. You look dirty. Your clothes, they smell. You haven't washed your clothes or yourself in a long time. What was, what was he displaying? What you see, David, King David, what you see is really what I feel and what I think. Matthew blamed his servant. He began to make excuses. If you read all those chapters that I gave you, 
as to why he had not been loyal to David and ready for David. And David, being wise as he was, he, he went through and he saw through those excuses that, that Matthew was giving him. And, and they reveal the character of who this man was. Away from the king's blessing, the outward appearance of who he was began to reflect his low self-esteem, his low self-worth, his negative self-concept about himself. He no longer cared for himself. He no longer cared for himself. He began to look like a messy dog, a run-down dog. He refused to admit his disloyalty to David. He was at the end. He had no worth in his life. His poor excuses were rooted in fear, most likely. But adopted children, royal children, don't need to live like this. He comes before the king and he goes back to misery. And if we have been adopted and we've been saved, if you just admitted you were saved, we don't have to live like this. When we are certain who we are in Christ, we can actually enjoy the blessings of God. We need not to doubt his love. His constant provision of all that we need. Even when life seems to rise up and suggest that God no longer reigns or God is not there. Or God doesn't hear your cry. I've talked to some of you and you say, I, I've been praying. And I just feel like God doesn't hear me and, and I get it. And I understand what we're dealing with. But God is giving you all you need. And if you stay close to him knowing all of this will soon be restored in order under his rule. God's in control. What's really going on is the bully that's inside of me that's causing me to lose control. Come on, church. Beat the bully. Everything has been given to you. You should say that to yourself. Everything has been given to me. Everything has been given to me. Scripture says that I was made in the image and in the likeness of God. How many of you believe that? You're so unworthy that you were made in the image of God. That's how unworthy you are. Think about what that, that doesn't make sense. You're made in the image and in the likeness of God. Second Peter, we went over this when we studied the book of Peter. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, I'm going to remind you what the scripture says. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need. God has given me everything I need. For what? For living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Verse 4. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. There are the promises that enable us to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Write that down. God has given me everything I need. Everything I need. I've been made in the image of God. Imago Dei. I've been made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 tells us this. So God created man. And where? How? In his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them in his own image. We were made in the image of God. Well, what does that mean? Do I look like him? No, it's deeper than that. In our moral, in our spiritual, intellectual nature, we are made in the image of God. In the image of God. So I need to start working out that self-concept. I need to change things around. Come on, let's begin to strengthen our self-worth 
Let's start to fight the bully within. I want to share this and I'm going to wrap, I'm getting close to wrapping things up. But I was listening to a podcast and it's actually a celebrity who I admire. And she begins to, she begins in this interview to speak about a horrible childhood that she went through. I mean, horrible. I mean, her father abused her. I can't think of anything worse for a father abused their own daughter. It was very interesting because in the interview she says, you know, my father would abuse me as a child all throughout like up to 15 years old. And my mother would allow it to happen, but she was very unique. My mother would say things like, you're going to be okay. You're, you're, made out of, you're, you're made out of steel. You're, you're as hard as steel or something like that. She's, and in the interview she says, I remember how weird that was that my mom would allow for my father to abuse me, but then she would comfort me to remind me that I was hard and I could deal with these things. Very interesting what that did to her. But she had a horrible childhood from her very own individual who's supposed to care and treat them well and nourish them and nurture them. Instead, they took advantage and he was dealing with stuff and took it out on his very own daughter. And she talks about growing up and she starts talking about growing up with no self-worth. And I thought, wow, this is such an amazing interview, especially with what we're going to be talking about on Sunday. And there was a lot of things that were said in that interview that really struck my heart. And I started to think about what that means for us today. That when you have no self-worth, she began to describe that life becomes performative. I want you to really examine your life because I want to wrap some stuff up now. And maybe you feel like, I lack self-worth, or at least positive, or high self-worth in my life. And when you lack that, it becomes performative. It's an illness of perfection, she begins to describe. Listen to this. It's an addiction to perfectionism. When you lack self-worth. Meaning, I don't feel lovable. I didn't get my needs met. So... If I'm, if I'm perfect, or if I try, if I'm really, really perfect, if I'm really perfect, then maybe I'll earn my way back to love. What is she doing? That's equals worth. If I find perfection and I'm perfect, then people will love me and then I'll find my worth. So many of us become very perfectionist and performative. And then I perform well. And then... What happens is that I'm dealing with all kinds of things in here, so I worry about my external performance because if I perform, war, perform, perform well externally, then I get praises. And your praise will now determine my self-worth. So I'm looking for someone else to praise me so that I can feel accomplished. When in reality, that's going to cause more damage than any good in me. Because then I become an addiction, it becomes an addiction to to. To gain your praise so that I could feel something. Come on, when I preach, when I preach and I do something good, clap for me. Or sit in the front row and cheer me on and root for me. And say, that's good. Amen. Preach. I need that. I need that so I could feel a certain way about myself. And that, that's what people with no self-worth, they, 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 they have to do these things. And I'm going to perform well. And if I continue to perform well, then I'm going to get the praises. And I long for those praises. And then when people clap for me, when people cheer me on, come on, you know where it's at, people. 
pat on your back because that's a good job. What you did was nice. What you did was good. And you long for that, that, that clap. I mean, we should all be appreciated. This is totally different than appreciated. But when it becomes an addiction, then you begin to feel, okay, I'm a good person because they clapped. I'm a good person because they patted me on the back. And you get this internal dopamine rush. And I love how she begins to describe in her life. She says this. It's like our own little internal pharmacy. It's our little drugstore. And we just got a hit. Oh good, they approve. I feel good. Until the next one. And your life becomes about a performance. So you could get your next hit. And your next hit. And your next hit. So you could find worth in how they respond to you. And then that goes away. And then we start to feel like a bad person again. And when you're an addict to it, or if you've ever struggled with addiction, or if you're a recovering addict, I don't think there's a such thing as a recovering addict. A continual victorious addict over your addiction. Victor, victor, continue victorious after it. Then you say, what well, the individual that continues to be an addict says, I need to take that hit again so I can feel that again. So I can feel that praise again. So I can feel that worth again. If not, I feel like a bad person. And that's a real problem for many of us if we're there. We have to heal this from the inside. So I want to say something to you, and you should really value what I'm about to tell you. Figure out why you're valuable in a way that no one can take away. And no one can even add to it. Figure out I'm valuable because of this very thing right here. That it would be irrelevant if you get another hit or not. If you get another dopamine rush or not. Another visit to the drugstore or not. Figure this out. Because these kind of individuals will continue to live in this wave of manipulation and be leveraged. And every aspect of their life so easily leveraged and manipulated. Come on. Beat the bully within and say, I know that heaven has cheered me on. I know what Christ has spoken about me. I need to really get my thoughts. I want you just to really take a moment because I'm going to read two more scriptures and we're done. But as we wrap this up, I want you to think about how you feel about yourself. I want you to think about that. How do I think about myself? Do I look for people's approval? Do I look for someone else's cheer? And I live for that rather than just living with self-worth, with positive self-worth because I already know who I am. I, I know the thoughts that I have. I know the feelings that I have because Christ has concreted that in my life I've given those things to the Lord and for many of us let's be very honest this is a continual fight we fight a continual battle that we go against a continual bully that we keep beating how many of you need to beat the bully within and change the way you think about yourself and begin to change the way you feel about yourself so then you could begin to live with worth in the image of God.
the likeness of God, that your identity can be found in Him. Many of us, we surrounded ourselves with the wrong people. 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us, don't be fooled because bad company corrupts good character. Come on, you have everything that you need. I want you right there, maybe you have your eyes closed like I do. I was going to do this, but I'll do it um, visually in your mind here. Picture this in your mind. If you were wearing a book bag or maybe a tool belt, let's, let's say a tool belt around your waist. And I tell you, you have everything you have to build your life. And you'll look at me and maybe you'll say, I don't know if I do. I don't feel successful. I don't feel loved. Maybe you'll say, I don't feel accepted. Maybe I'm very low on myself. I don't know what you'll say. What would you say if I tell you, you have everything that you need. You have all that it takes to build a successful life. What would you tell me? I don't know. If I just had a, if I just had a family, if I just had more money, if I just had him, if I just had her, if I just had them, if I just had it, I don't know. I think I'm missing that. I think I'm not this. I'm this way. I feel this way. What would you, how would you answer? And then I tell you, look at your tool belt. And you look down at your tool belt. And you begin to take out some stuff that you find in it. And you're like, how did this get here? And you take out a tool tool says courage you take out another tool and the tool says loved and you're like how do I have love and courage if I'm always discouraged and I feel like I'm not loved how come this is on my tool belt what else do I have and you take out another tool and I don't know, you have to really figure out what it says. And you start to take out all these tools one by one and they never end. Ding, ding, and they're falling on the table and you're looking at all these tools. You're like, I don't get it. It says success. It says loved. It says hopeful. It says, it says all these different things. It says healed. It's, it says all these different things about me. And the Lord says, they've always been on you. Because I made you. I fashioned you. I know you went through experiences. I know you went through some ups and downs in life. I, I know there's been some struggles. Life hasn't been perfect. It didn't go perfect for my very own son, Jesus. It didn't go perfect for Peter or for Paul. It didn't go perfect for many of those that you read about in the Bible. It didn't go, it's still not going perfect for many that are still believing in the faith and, and living for me. And many of them are going through many things because they're standing up in their faith and, and they're living a good life, but yet still wrong comes at them. It has nothing to do with the internal thing. It's, it's happening to a lot of people. It's always happened. But what I'm telling you is I've built you and I've made you. I fashioned you in your mother's womb. I've given you a tool belt and you have everything that you need. You have all that it takes. Now use those tools and build the life that you're called to have. Come on, where's your tool belt? What does it say? 
Take out those tools. What does it say? See, what happens is in my life, I have what it takes. I have what I need. But I decide to never use it. And I never use it. And I begin to think that that's who I am and I'm never capable. When in reality, God says, begin to use it. And you'll see what I can really do through you and in you. And who you really are in me. Come on, take out, take it out so you can start beating the bully. In Matthew 6, verse 25, I end with this scripture. It's a passage. And Jesus is speaking to his followers. And you know exactly what this is when I read it. I want you just to meditate. You could leave your eyes closed if you want. And I want you to look at your tool belt. I want you to recognize that you have everything you need. And this is what Jesus, not me, not anyone, but Jesus, his very own words, translated in our language. And he says, this is why I tell you, don't worry about your life what you will eat and what you will drink or about your body and what you will wear isn't life more than food and isn't it more than the body more than clothing I love what he's about to say come on it's mind blowing if you really allow it to reveal itself to you it says look with your eyes closed I'm asking you to look he says, look, Jesus says, look at the birds of the sky. I'm thinking that when Jesus said this, some birds flew over him. And he caused the crowd to look at the birds that are flying over them. He says, look at the birds. He says, they don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Yet, your heavenly father feeds them. I love this. I love what Jesus is about to say to them as they're looking at the birds fly by. And they say, yeah, it's true. How do those birds keep living? And then Jesus says, aren't you worth more than them? Come on, church, aren't you worth more than that? Verse 27, he says this, can any of you add a signal cubit to his height by worrying why do you worry about your clothes church I want you to learn how the wildflowers of the field grow they don't labor they don't spin thread they just grow but yet I tell you that not even Solomon who we read about in the scriptures Solomon, who was the wisest, richest, respected man on earth. Solomon. King Solomon himself, not even Solomon. In all his splendor, was adorned like one of those wildflowers. And I love what Jesus is about to say again. He says this. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and thrown into a fire tomorrow. Come on, church. Won't he do much more for you? 
aren't you worth so much more? Church, what do you think about yourself? How do you feel about yourself? Because I don't know if it matches with how God thinks and feels about you. And if that's the case, then you're struggling with self-worth today. And if that's the case, I need you like Mephi to come to the king and let him establish you again and learn to beat the bully within you so that you could believe so you could begin to live in success in the world around you. Come on, beat the bully. There is worth and you are worth so much more. And the Lord sees that. And the Lord knows that about you. But are you here and are you struggling to see that about yourself? I'm going to ask you to stand with me there in reverence before the presence of the Lord, before his word as it was shared right now. And I want you to really just examine deep inside as you have throughout this last hour and really determine for yourself. Be very honest with yourself. I want you to give yourself worth a grade. Are you like this celebrity that I heard that said, I've become a, an addict to perfection. I've become an addict to perform. Because it was a hit, a dopamine rush when I saw that other people valued. But when that goes away, I start to feel sad and horrible and lonely again. Maybe you're someone that's here today and you feel alive when you're with people but then you go back home and you're by yourself and you feel lonely again. And you need to perform again with people because that's how you feel you're alive. But how about the Lord says, I want you to go home and even when you're alone, I want you to feel alive. I want you to see that you are so, you have so much worth in you. I am worthy, God says. And in my worthiness, I give you worth. I need you to see your worth. I need you to think differently about yourself. And So as we close off today, what are ways that you need to think differently? What are ways in which you need to feel differently? Come on, begin to exercise those things. No man, no woman goes to the gym and picks up a weight and stares at himself in the mirror and says, okay, here it is. I came to the gym and I'm looking at the mirror. Finally, muscles grow. But it's a consistency. It's persevering. It's being consistent and exercising the weight so that I could gain the muscle. So Lord, I need to, I need to exercise these good words and these good thoughts about myself because your word has good thoughts over me. So I need to speak the word of God over my mind and over my heart. I need to think about myself differently. Come on, church. Who is that? Stop looking at yourself in the mirror and say, well, Lord, it's all your fault. You must not really love me and care for me. This is who I am and this is who I'm always going to be. And he says, no, take out the toolbox. Take out your tool belt. I've given you everything you need. You have everything that you need in your life. To gain what you need to gain. Come on. Start thinking about yourself differently. Start thinking about yourself differently. And start feeling about yourself differently. Start to beat that bully. And become the person that I've called you to be. I've made you in my image and in my likeness. 
beat the bully. Come on, win the world within. With every eye closed and you're examining yourself, I think we all need prayer today. I think we all deal with this. But is there anyone here today that's desperate? That is at a place where they're just broken and you recognize, oh my God, not one more day. Today I, I'm coming up to prayer and I'm taking out every tool and I'm going to recognize that in His presence that I have everything I need. You're at that place of desperation today. If that's you, I want you to come up here. Don't, don't even wait, just run. Run up here and say, I'm going to come alongside someone and I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe and I want to activate self-worth, not just right now at this moment, but from this day forward. I want to work on my self-esteem, on my self-concept. I want to build up my self-worth. I can't go one more day like this. I'm going to make that commitment today. The reality that's every single one of us, but maybe there's just someone here that is at, at, at a place of desperation that just needs someone to get around them and just put their arms around them and pray and cry with them and speak worth into them. Not so that you could receive the clap, the rush, the hit again, but just a place of surrender where you could say, this is where I'm at in life. And Lord, I fully surrender. I want to start beating the bully. And I want to win the world within right now. And from this day forward, I'm going to think different and I'm going to feel different about myself. I'll give you all a minute just to be in prayer, a minute or so to be in worship and really give all of this to the Lord.
for some of us. We know what it looks like to come before your presence and say, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. We come running back to you like the prodigal and we say, make me one of the least in your house. For even, I'm not worthy to even be like one of them. the truth that you give us your garments and you put us you put a ring on our finger and you put sandals on our feet again and you prepare the fatted calf for many of us we know what it feels like to be like this gentleman that comes up to King David and his beard is not trimmed his skin is all dirty his nails are not trimmed and cut his clothes are dirty and he smells and he looks like a rag dog before the king and the king says how much more do I have to do I presented you in my courts I've sat you in my table I've given you the wealth of your father you are more than what you think about yourself Mephi you are more than what you feel about yourself, Mephi. Maybe I can't change your physical handicap. But Mephi, I'm here to tell you that I could change your, that internal spiritual handicap. Which continues to cripple you. I want you, Mephi, to begin to change the way you think and the way you feel. And from this day forward, I want you to know that you will be called one of the king's sons. How many of you are hearing that from the Lord today? I want you to, to change the way you think and feel about yourself. Because I sat you at a table that you eat with the king. And what I think and feel about you is, I mean, Jeremiah tells us, his ways and that his thoughts are far more than our ways and our thoughts so Lord we all come before your presence like Mephi like the prodigal son and like so many more in scripture and maybe struggle with self worth and we could say Lord help us from this day forward to change the way we think let us know and let us search deep within the toolbox in our bags that we have everything that we need. Lord, from this day going on for the rest of our lives, let us, let us beat the bully and that we could live to satisfy you and to live in the joy that you bring because we have been found by you. Our identity is in you. I pray for healing over our body for anyone that needs that. I pray for breakthrough in our body for anyone that needs that. I pray for freedom in our body for anyone that needs that. Let this become a true reality in their lives. So Lord, we thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name. 
Come on, church, together we say amen. Can you give God some praise? He's so worthy.